Detox connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This Life Science Focus podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to keep you up to date. This week on the show, we are discussing pharma TV ad spending trends and how a new AL algorithm could help the early detection of heart disease. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the X-Talks Life Science Podcast. I'm Aisha Rashid, Senior Life Science Journalist at xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Sydney Perlmutter and Mira Nabulsi. Thanks for coming today. So I'm going to start off with a story today about pharma TV ad spending trends and looking at pharma companies that were in the top 10 last week um, in ad spending. So given that most people have been spending a lot of the past year being locked down at home due to the COVID-19 pandemic, it's no surprise that much of that time has been spent binging content on TV and through digital streaming services. So given this, Pharma wasted no time in coming up with some added cash towards TV advertising. So the top 10 pharma brands uh, spent 17% more on TV ads in April of last year compared to just a month prior to that when the pandemic hit. And uh, their monthly ad expenditures uh, were raised from 156 million to 183 million that month. So in addition, with an increased interest in all things health-related because of the pandemic, uh, it was an even bigger window of, uh, window of opportunity for pharma to up its advertising game. So a study from the Cleveland uh, Clinic actually showed that 68% of Americans decided to make healthier lifestyle changes during the COVID-19 pandemic and pay more attention to risk factors for various health conditions. So combined with this increased focus on health, ironically, though, TV watching also went up in the past year, and that's not surprising, as I mentioned. So according to a report from eMarketing, TV watching actually went up in 2020 for the first time in 10 years. And this trend doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. Um, back in November of last year, it seems that the ratio of US consumers who said they were watching a lot more TV had not changed since the pandemic had began. So. In terms of total pharma advertising spending, according to Cantor Media, in 2020, pharma spent a total of over $6.58 billion on ad spending. And this is just a bit above 2019's figure of $6.56 billion. But experts say that this is still noteworthy because uh, this year, or in the past year, sorry, in the US, spending on advertising had dropped overall by 13%. However, Given this, pharma still seemed to be trending upwards. So according to TV ad tracker iSpot TV, last week, three of the top 10 TV ad spenders were from pharma, coming in and coming in at the number four, eight, and nine spots. And these were among big insurance giants like Liberty Mutual Allstate and Domino's Pizza. So at number four was uh, Rebelsis, which uh, is an anti-diabetic drug. At number four was true, another anti-diabetic drug, uh, Trulicity. And at number 
nine was dupixent, which is an anti-inflammatory. So TV ad spending has gone up and the trend does not seem to be letting down anytime soon. Um, AbbVie actually, AbbVie's anti-inflammatory Humira uh, didn't make the top spenders list this week. And Humira is actually, it's dominated pharma TV ad spending for quite a while now. And it's an anti-inflammatory that uh, has multiple indications. So it's prescribed for both arthritis, psoriasis, as well as ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. So just in light of all of this information and looking at the pharma TV ad trends in the past year and in the past week, I mean, we have three companies in the top 10. Um, as I mentioned, we have two anti-diabetic drugs, which are GLP-1 agonists with Rebelsis and Dupixent. I believe I said Rebel Rebelsis was at number four and Dupixent is at actually number eight and Trulicity anti-inflammatory was in at number nine. So what do you think about these trends? Um, um, TV watching is up, no surprise. And this is a great opportunity for Farman to come in and really up their ad game, given that, as I mentioned, people are more interested in health. Um, however, what's very surprising to me is when I was researching uh, pharma ad and pharma marketing is that the U.S. and New Zealand are the only two countries in the world that um, allow for direct-to-consumer pharma advertising. And that was pretty surprising. Um, of course, there are a lot of ethical concerns and issues around um, direct-to-consumer advertising of, of medications and pharma drugs. Of course, you know, you would have patients going up to their doctors uh, requesting uh, drugs. And in the U.S., the climate uh, is a bit different than, say, in places like Canada or Australia, where, uh, of course, big pharma is, is huge with uh, the insurance industry. So I wanted to know what your thoughts are on the recent trends that we've been seeing in the U.S. Uh, with respect to uh, increases in pharma TV ad spending and just generally overall in terms of how you view uh uh, ad spending and marketing of drugs to the public? I think it puts a lot of trust into consumers and also maybe is a bit, um, ex I don't want to say exploitative of them, but I don't feel quite right about that because these commercials are not as informative. I've seen them here in Canada, potentially just because we get American channels, but I don't think they explain, uh, you know, the extent of the side effects potentially. And, um, you know, as a consumer um, who would potentially find a need for a, a certain medication, maybe they would, you know, see this advertisement and think like, this was exactly what was for me, but their doctor would know better. Um, so I think it, it sort of, it, it doesn't really sit right with me. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. And, and I feel like it's up during the pandemic is, isn't even, it's even worse because people are a little more fearful of their health. And um, I think, I think this is the time that uh, pharma companies are sort of exploiting consumers. That's kind of what I meant by exploitation. Like people are already a little bit weary of, of their health and um, more advertising of medication is maybe not, maybe not the best thing, but that's just my initial thoughts. 
Yeah, I, I, I have to agree with you. I think it does more harm than good to advertise prescription meds, especially because advertising is supposed to be a way to allow consumers to actually want to buy a specific product. So, you know, increasing sales of avocados, for example, or something like that in a fun and inform, in a fun way rather than informative. And I feel like a lot of drug companies that do advertise their drugs to consumers does not provide them with enough information to understand exactly what the effects of a prescription medication is or does to a person. So instead, it's kind of like giving people information about a potential drug that may help them towards curing a specific thing that they think they have, rather than getting, you know, the facts from a doctor and giving suggestions. Now, in the US, they are, they, 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 they function differently, I feel like the rest of the world, because they do think of money and ways to, you know, capitalize on things like prescription drugs, especially because of big pharma companies. So there, if you were to ban the advertising of prescription drugs, I don't know how society would take that. Yeah, I don't know how that would go down. But countries like Canada and India and rest of the world that don't, that have a ban on advertising, I think it makes sense, especially if children are watching these ads, you know, like I'm already skeptical about children watching any ads at all. Imagine if it were to be prescription medication drugs. I think that's that draws a very um, ethical conversation that needs to be taken place. Um, yeah, I agree with the, both of you in that sense. And really the lack of sort of the science behind the drugs, that doesn't come across at all. Like all of these commercials are usually just like, you know, lovey-dovey commercials, people like out in the park and and biking and doing all the things they love because they are taking these drugs that are helping them uh, improve the quality of, of, their li- of their life. But, you know, Nobody talks about really the side effects. I think that's just sort of uh, rushed in in the last like five seconds or so of the commercial, if even. So there is a problem with uh, the education component for sure. And I can't even imagine what sort of, um, you know, healthcare providers and doctors have to go through when um, patients are seeing all of these ads and, you know, coming in their doors and requesting for all these medications. But then again, like we talked about, the climate is very different in the U.S. And I mean, there are incentives there for healthcare practitioners, of course, through ins- uh, big pharma and insurance companies. So um, I- I'm pretty sure they strike a, a balance in that way. Um, to play devil's advocate here, though, I mean, at least you have names out and do you think that like choice is a good thing in this way because a lot of these medications for example I didn't even know myself how many types of GLP agonists there are you know when you go to your doctor they will just prescribe to you what they think is best and of course you put your trust in your um, healthcare provider that's you know that should go without a given Um, but um, it's perhaps uh, also a choice thing where you can do your own research as well, perhaps just by seeing, you know, some of these names, not to blindly go by what these commercials are saying, but I think it does, like I started researching a lot of these drugs, some of them that I didn't know about. So perhaps it does open up um, avenues of choice and information for, for people who choose not to just blindly follow what they're seeing on TV. Um, that's just sort of another 
kind of a component there. But yeah, I agree for kids, especially, you know, TV advertising of, of drugs, especially, uh, you know, um, as kids get older, teenagers, um, problems with like ADHD drugs and things like that definitely um, is the cause for concern. Yeah, I've seen a few documentaries on um, some pharmaceutical companies and uh, one of them made me aware of the fact that a lot more money is spent um, on advertising and just getting the drugs out there than R&D, for example, and and other really, really important um, aspects of, of, of the business. So hearing that more money is being spent on advertising means less money is going into product development and R&D and other important things like that. So that's just something um, else to consider. Um, but I do agree about the choice aspect. And I think that that's something that um, your doctor should should bring up as well like if you see a commercial and you say oh I heard about this this drug your doctor should say oh yeah okay well this is what this is and then you know here are your other choices so I think it yeah depends how susceptible you are I guess to advertising in the end at the end of the day that's really all it is yeah awesome so On that note, uh, let's move on to the next story that I have uh, up for conversation today. Uh, So basically, talking about new technologies and AI uh, has been dominating uh, the news and, you know, in terms of the news technologies out there. And so a group of researchers at the Mayo Clinic have actually developed an AI-based algorithm that can be integrated into electro, routine electrocardiograms or ECGs. And this algorithm is designed to assess for low ejection fraction. Um, and so ejection fraction is basically a measure of the amount of blood that's being pumped out of the left ventricle with each contraction. And a normal ejection fraction is between 50 and 70%. A low ejection fraction is considered to be anything below 50%, and anything under 40% may indicate heart failure or uh, cardiomyopathy, and is actually referred to as heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, or HFREF. And there are, uh, again, like depending on the percentage of the ejection fraction, the disease is characterized um, in different ways. So low ejection fraction is often asymptomatic in early stages and can lead to cardiomyopathy and heart failure. And so asymptomatic cases are problematic because they usually go underdiagnosed um, because of course they can be difficult to recognize in the early stages when treatment would be most effective. And so low ejection fraction is typically detected using uh, an ECG. Uh, I'm sorry, is detected using an echocardiogram, which is uh, a cardiac ultrasound. And that is time consuming and expensive. Now, in contrast, the Mayo Clinic's AI algorithm can screen for the condition using a standard uh, ECG or electro cardiogram reading, which is more fast, inexpensive, and is a readily available tool compared to um, using uh, heart ultrasound imaging. 
And so Mayo's uh, ECG-based AI algorithm was assessed in a clinical trial, and data from that trial showed that integrating this AI-based screening tool into routine care can increase the diagnosis of the number of cases of this particular heart condition. So the trial was conducted across 45 different medical institutes in Minnesota and Wisconsin and involved over 22,000 adult patients um, that had a regular ECG under the care of their physician during an eight-month period. And what the trial found was that the AI screening tool um, gave positive results in 6% of the entire patient cohort, and that the AI intervention increased the diagnosis of low ejection fraction overall by 32% relative to standard care. And among patients that had a positive AI-based result, the relative increase of diagnosis was 43%. So it seems like this tool is quite effective in being able to flag and diagnose or help in the diagnosis of low ejection fraction. And um, of course, um, patients who are flagged by this AI tool to potentially have low ejection fraction, uh, the diagnosis is made by conducting um, an echocardiogram or that heart ultrasound for confirmation. So, Really, I just wanted to get your thoughts on, I think it's pretty exciting how we, you know, can use AI and new technologies and integrate them into existing uh, technologies and existing routine sort of tests um, and to be able to really extract more data and more um, functionality from the existing tests. Uh, do you think, you know, I was a skeptic at one point in time where I thought AI was a bit overhyped and things like that. And, you know, a lot of people were concerned that it might be replacing, you know, uh, manual jobs and, and people's jobs and things like that. But really, um, tools like this are really opening up my eyes to really the possibilities of things like AI in enhancing existing uh, technologies and existing sort of um, uh, things that we have that can really help enhance diagnosis of diseases uh, like heart conditions, like low ejection fractions. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think um, the technology that we use to detect things like heart disease and stuff have been outdated. I know, I know, maybe, you know, I shouldn't be saying that, but a lot of these devices can be improved, especially with the development of new technologies like AI. So I totally agree when AI was first becoming, you know, a buzzword and things like that, I was skeptical. But now, um, I think it can really advance everything that we already know and know how to use by, you know, providing us with more data. And I think the more data that we have, the better, you know, diagnoses we could we can make. Um, so yeah, I totally agree with you, Aisha. Yeah, same here. And I think it's it's not necessarily fixing something that's broken. It's just improving something for the sake of data and for the sake of the individual patient as well. So if AI is able to be integrated into something like the technology already clearly, um, you know, allows for it. But I think where um, AI sort of falls off is when, uh, or is just considered a buzzword is when 
you know, we're not quite there yet with existing technology in a, in a certain sector. So it's good to hear that, like, it, it is no longer a buzzword and that it has been integrated um, into this because I know heart related diseases are extremely common and definitely a big uh, cause of death in the U.S., um, I think. Uh, so it's really great that um, this is being addressed and we're finding ways to catch these diseases earlier. I uh, I personally struggle from a lot of, you know, um, I don't want to say heart problems, but some heart things that I do uh, find to be worrying. And uh, using these devices, which I have, um, always just didn't seem right to me because sometimes when I am using the device, for example, I don't receive the symptoms. I don't, I don't experience the symptoms that I've been complaining about. But recently I invested in a, in a, in a watch that actually monitors my heart all the time. And the first thing I could think about was this is amazing because it's like using something that I'm comfortable using to record data over a bunch of days and hours that I could then send to my doctor, even though it's not as accurate. But the idea of using modern technology to cater to what we already know in older technology is kind of phenomenal, I think, and a lot less invasive. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. Yeah, that's for sure, Um, especially in the field of, um, you know, cardiology, I think uh, a lot of procedures in the past have been typically quite invasive. So it's really great to see that uh, sort of these kinds of new technologies, including AI-based technologies, can really help um, improve diagnosis and and potentially treatments uh, non-invasively. So uh, really exciting to uh, learn about this story and, um, you know, the future of of AI in everything from drug development in pharma to medical devices to biotech. Uh, really, it's uh, phenomenal what the sort of potential is for, for AI. And with that, that's the end of this episode of the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you liked today's show, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the X-Talks Life Science Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X-Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.